This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it's Chris from My Rock and Roll Heaven on Boom Radio, and you are listening to the ultimate rock community podcast, The Hook Rocks with Jay Scott. If you love rock music and talking rock as much as I do, then you're definitely going to love Jay's podcast. Check him out on Twitter, The Hook Rocks, and across all of your favorite music streaming platforms. Welcome back. It's Jay Scott. It's the Hook Rocks. Thanks for tuning in once again. Always appreciate when you stop by. Love uh, the feedback that uh, you've been giving the show lately. Uh, always appreciate the positivity. Always appreciate you know the feedback of what we could do better. So thank you very much for that. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, as you know, great network of music-related podcasts. I always mention some of my friends at the beginning of every show, like Tom and Zeus on the Shout Out Loudcast. 
the greatest KISS podcast in the galaxy, in my opinion. Uh, Mac from the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast, the uh, the uh, transient Floridian who moved to the UK and has a great podcast, so check out that. Martin Popoff, the rock historian, Mistress Carrie, the great DJ out in Boston, as well as Aaron and Chris on the Decibel Geek podcast as well. So check all them out. Check out Pantheon Pods on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Search up Pantheon Pods. Don't forget to search The Hook Rocks on all podcast platforms. We're available everywhere, whether it's Spotify, Apple, or Amazon. You can check us out on all platforms. And also, every social media platform, or most social media platforms, I should say, like Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't forget to download the app wherever you use, wherever you find us, to automatic download so you get the latest episode right to your phone. We've had some great episodes lately, some great new music spotlights. As you know, I always enjoy doing. We just had Justin from Broken Love. We had Frame 42, the band from Michigan, Clay Dieters from the Minnesota band The Issue, as well as The Warning, the three sisters from Mexico who are just ready to jump out of the stratosphere right now. They're absolutely phenomenal. They're touring right now with The Pretty Reckless and Hailstorm. So go see them. I just saw them at Milwaukee Summerfest. Fantastic performance, as well as the Bottom Lounge in Chicago. I believe it was May or April. They were fantastic. So great new bands. Always like you know exposing them and introducing you to great new rock music, um, as well as the legacy artists. We've had Stephen Piercy on our 400th episode, as well as, I shouldn't say our 400th, our three-year anniversary. We celebrated our 400th episode as well. And uh, we just had Christian Eagle, the great uh, music insider on the show, talking about the different platforms, the changing algorithms, and the future of NAM in Los Angeles and what's going to be happening with that in years to come. And uh, we've got another great guest for you today, one of my favorites. Um, I read this book, gosh, it's got to be two years ago, maybe a little under two years ago. And I love reading books, history books, music books. But this one really struck a nerve because I felt it was talking about my childhood because there were a lot of similarities. Going to Catholic school, being raised in a, an Italian, Irish family, um, listening to music, walking to the record store, riding a bike to the record store. All these things were talked about and all these things I went through and it, it brought back so many great memories of that time of innocence, that time of discovery, that time of wonder that I really think today's generation of people that young don't have like we had back then. Um, the author is also a musician. He's also an actor. He's a fantastic gentleman, fantastic dude. It's Joey Casada. The book is Start With a Dream. I'd like to welcome back because we're going to talk about it again. We talked about it two years ago. We're going to talk about it again because it really needs to be be discovered by a lot of my listeners, a lot of rock fans out there. What's happening, Joey? What's up, dude? Uh, that was a, a big hyped up intro. I'm exhausted listening to it. <laughs> uh, you gave me a lot of accolades. I really appreciate you having me on. All the kind words about the book. It's so funny. When I wrote that book, the whole beginning of that book, all the stuff you just talked about, in my mind, it was all throwaway stuff. I never thought people would enjoy the first half of the book. I always thought people would want to hear more about my professional musical accolades and touring with Kiss and TV shows and famous wrestlers and all that stuff. And 90% of the great feedback that I get is probably more about the first half that you mentioned. 
Well, I think it captures the essence of growing up during that time, you know, because things were simple, but they were also kind of complicated. How to get a record, how to get a record into the house that, you know, if your mother saw, you know, she would have a conniption fit, you know? So it was, it was all those, that innocence, that sense of wonder that I mentioned, just that discovery. Like when you saw these bands and you heard this music and the way that, you know, it wasn't in the mainstream, and you fast forward to in today's age and you and you hear about why doesn't a, a heavy metal or hard rock act play the Super Bowl or why doesn't, you know, this band play this in the at the Grammys. And when you think of this book and you think of that time, none of that stuff was happening, but it felt like I, it was ours. Right. It felt like that this moment in time, this music was ours like it wasn't anybody else's it wasn't mainstream it wasn't until later on in the 80s and you captured that that curiosity that that just the you know your friends hanging out with and listening to music you know the passion that it instilled in you in pursuing your dream because we all wanted to be in a band back then we all wanted to play you know music and only a certain amount of kids did and only a certain amount from them continue to do it. And it's inspirational. It really does. I always like it when I, when I, I always describe something when I read it, where you can smell those moments where you can, you know, hear the traffic when you're riding your bike to the record store. You can, you can hear the arguments with your friend about the album you're going to buy at the record store, why this album is better than that album. It just, it just spawns so many different emotions and it captures that moment during that time, like, like no other book has done. Again, so many great compliments you just gave me. I'm humbled. Thank you so much. It means the world to me. Not only that you took the time to read it, that anyone took the time to read it. You know, when I, when I fish, when I originally wrote this book, it was something that I was writing for my kids. I wanted to write something to kind of just leave the story of my life for my kids. Both of my parents um, passed away when I was younger and I never really got a chance to talk about life with them and what they did in their lives and what were their dreams and what did they do? And, you know, all of that stuff. It was just, you know, mom and dad, I never really had those kinds of serious conversations with them. And, and, and I missed that. And I wa- just wanted my kids to have something to look back on and say, Oh, wow, that was cool. My dad did this. Wow. He did that. That's weird. And whatever. It was literally just for that. And then when I started just giving some drafts to people, they were like, dude, you got to release this. This is like a time capsule. It's capturing, you know, a kid growing up in the eighties, loving music and loving wrestling. And, you know, I had so many people tell me that they're relating to the book, like you said. And when I wrote it, that's not why I wrote it. I didn't think people would relate to it. All I knew was, I was telling my life story. I was telling how I grew up and, you know, being in an Italian Catholic family and going to Catholic school and being screamed at by the nuns for having long hair and forcing me to cut, literally cut my hair in the bathroom with a perforated scissor. And I would come out with it all chopped up and, you know, with time and struggling with money, my family never had money. And how the hell was I going to buy the next Kiss album if I couldn't, you know, if my mom couldn't buy even a pair of socks for herself? Somehow she, you know, she gave me the money out of her pocket and I got the new Kiss record. And, you know, I'm never thinking about it as a kid that she's making sacrifices. But as I got older, I realized, wow, what the sacrifices that she was making just for me to get the new Kiss record or 
the next concert tickets that I wanted or the next wrestling tickets to go see Hulk Hogan at Madison Square Garden. So I was literally just, you know, it, it just opened up a flood of memories as I was writing it. And I'm sure this would happen to anyone, anyone that tried to jot down their life story. And, you know, jot down might be the wrong phrase because it took me a very long time to write. But as you're writing, your brain is opening up memories and memories and memories and memories. And one leads to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. You know, I definitely did not have any writer's block. That's for sure. You know, I hear all the stories about people having writer's block when they write a book. This thing came out of me like it was nothing. Well, that's when I talk about when I read this book, how it connected with me. I went to a Catholic school. Okay. My mother was Italian. My dad was Irish. My family struggled too as well. My father lost his hearing when I was in junior high and he didn't work for several years. And my mother really is the one that supported the family. Um, so I got a paper route basically. So I could make money to buy things for myself because I felt bad asking my mother to, to do that. But all these things that you talked about was, was basically my childhood. You know, and being taught by nuns as penguins, as we called them, you know, and I got to tell you a funny story. My son, who's who's read part of the book, um, his mother is always getting on him about his long hair. And he said to her one time, he's like, my Jesus, Jesus had long hair. And I looked at him. I'm like, hey, you know, I wonder where he got that from. No, that's a good listen. That's a big story of my book. You know, when, like I said before, the nuns used to make me cut my hair and. You know, just to show the support my mom gave me, I, I went home and I was suspended from school and I thought I was going to get my ass kicked. And uh, my mom's like, why were you suspended? And I was like, well, you know, the nun said, you know, you got to cut your hair or you're not you're not coming back to the school. You're suspended for a week. And she said, you get your ass back to that school tomorrow and you tell her Jesus had long hair. Why can't you? And sure enough, I did it. Cost me another extra week of suspension. But the story lives in infamy now. You know, that, and, and that's really what the book is about. It's about me growing up. You know, the book is called Start With the Dream, rock, uh, a drummer's journey from rock and roll to TV to Broadway. And <clears throat> it's just about me growing up from the very first, you know, concert that I saw, Kiss, when I was five years old at Madison Square Garden, to, you know, all the way through my dreams of becoming one day a rock and roll drummer and all the heartaches and struggles that go through that people have to go through to, you know, quote unquote, make it in the business. And it's about never giving up on those dreams. I don't care if you're 10 years old. I don't care if you're 14 years old. I don't care if you're 34 years old or 74 years old. Why would you ever give up on something that you love? Keep doing it until the day you die. That's the rewarding part. It's not about money. It's not about cars and houses and fancy shoes and clothes. It's about self-fulfillment. If you're doing something you love every day, and I've done it my whole life, I've done something I loved my whole life every day. I don't work for other people. I do things my way. And it's given me a fulfillment in my life that I think most people either lose track of or don't even pursue. It's not about the paycheck at the end of the day. And don't get me wrong, I've made Big, big paychecks over the years, and I've made little tiny ones. But it's about every day knowing you're waking up, doing what you love to do, pursuing the next next goal in your life, and you go to sleep with a sense of relief that you're, that's what you're doing every day. It's not about working for someone else and 
hating what you do every day, all the people that say that they don't have time to follow their dreams because they have a nine to five job, horse shit. You have time. Don't watch the next TV show you wanted to watch or don't go to the, you know, driving to go. Don't go to the beach that day. Sit in front of your computer, work at something, whatever you're doing or, you know, go work out, whatever the hell you have to do to follow that next dream. Go do. There's time in the day. Trust me. When you sit down to write this book, obviously you're talking about your life and you're talking about how you started with this dream, this journey. And as you start to write, you talk about the memories that are opened up and the things that you you begin to remember. How, how many things, when you wrote this book, you weren't planning on talking about or, or writing about? But because you, you started to open up the, the, the memory bank, it added a whole – I mean, I could tell by the thickness of the book, there's probably a lot of stuff in there. But, but – it's it, it, that's always an interesting thing because you're right. Whenever you start to really kind of think about things from your past, one memory leads to another. How much of this was not planned? Oh, oh I would say none, almost none of it. It's so funny. Literally, you know, my plan was to kind of just jot down my childhood story. But really, you know, when I decided to release it, my 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 goal was to release the business, the career part of once I, you know, really started to make a living as a drummer and stuff. That was the stuff I, I thought people were interested, like I said earlier. And that's the stuff I was planning on releasing, <clears throat> you know, especially all my personal life stuff. You know, there are, there is so much in that book about my childhood that not only have I never written about, I've never told anyone, never spoke about <clears throat> all the friends in my book that I mentioned, all my best friends growing up until they read this book. They never even knew all of the stuff that I went through as a kid. They never knew the financial hardships of me, you know, getting evicted from my home. And, you know, I would I told them, you know, we're moving. They didn't know I'm getting evicted. You know, I'm, I'm 12, 13 years old. It's it's mortifying to tell your friends my parents have no money and my mom has no money and we're getting thrown out of our house and we, we have to try to go live somewhere else. It's mortifying. I, I just, you know, I, I was embarrassed as a kid. And I honestly never even spoke about it since. Uh, and, you know, through this book, I wrote it all down, like I said, more for my kids to understand that struggle sometimes it builds character. And, you know, you you go through life and, and you, you know, you you deal with stuff and you get stronger. It's not about how hard you hit, get hit. It's about how hard you how many times you can get back up and how and keep pushing forward. And. So most of that stuff, trust me, even after it was written, when I planned on releasing it, I was going to cut most of that stuff out. And then I had people saying, no, that's the stuff people people don't want to hear about your successes. They want to hear about your heartache that you even overcame to get successful. It's so true. It, it absolutely is. I mean, when you think about those times, as we both learned growing up, you value things more, right? And you understand, you you overcome challenges. And what I think a lot of people don't understand until they have a chance to reflect on their own life is, yes, there are successes in in your life. You you do great things, you do good things, but your life is really made up of how you overcome things. You know, that's really the majority of, of your life is dealing with challenges and responding to them and overcoming them and moving forward. Um, when you think, you know, I always tell my son, I'm like, you're going to be 
You're going to have challenges every day, every week, and you're going to have successes, but those challenges are going to be there. It's going to make the successes so much more sweeter when you, when you experience them. Because and of listen, all the stuff don't get me wrong. It, it's when you're living in the moment, it's impossible to understand that. It is. You know, I, I teach every one of my students this. I teach my kids this, but while you're living in a, in a heartache or, or a death in the family or break up with a boyfriend or girlfriend and, you don't understand this stuff or a firing of a job or an audition you go on that you didn't make all your, all your feeling is, is misery and depression and stuff like that. I, I understand that during my life, you know, I write in my book that I, and it's not until you can reflect on it that you see, wow, how much I grew from that. Wow. That, that heartache gave me the determination to push forward, to do X, Y, Z. You don't see it at the time, but Hopefully there are people like you, people like me, you know, that's what I do. I try to inspire people. I try to help people. I try to make people understand, never give up. Don't give up on whatever it is. I don't care if you want to be a baker or a dentist or a car salesman or a rock star, whatever it is, do it 1000% and you will see at the end of the day, you will have fulfillment. Now that you've been able to sit with this book or understand what you wrote and look back on the stories that you told and look back on the content for the, for the book. Is there anything that you see differently? I mean, you mentioned the sacrifice that your mother, you know, went through and, and how she raised you and all those things. But is there anything, you know, now, even with the success of opening for kiss or the TV show or where this journey has taken you, that maybe you appreciate a little more, maybe you look at things differently, have a different perspective on things. Has that happened? Because it's almost like when you write a song, right? When you write lyrics to a song, you write about a personal experience that maybe you encountered a couple years ago. You're farther removed from it. You have a different perspective of it. And then as you get further and further away from that song, as you keep evolving as a person, you see things and understand things differently. Yeah, you know, in my book, I, t- I talk about these things I call my frozen moments. You know, at the time when I was a kid, I didn't know what they were. You know, it's it's you know, it's a, it's another way of saying stopping to smell the roses or breathing in the moment and appreciating what you're doing at that time, rather than looking backwards or forward. Just sitting there and appreciating what you're doing at that time, and it's a very hard thing to do. And I didn't even realize that I was able to do it. Until I started writing this book and I realized, wow, these moments really did keep happening to me at these weird select times. You know, when something big would happen in my life, I would really feel like I could freeze time for a few seconds and take this deep breath and and appreciate the moment. And that's, I think, what I what I the biggest lesson that I learned reading my own book and writing my own book was, you know, being able to do that is not a trait that everyone has, I think. And I think it's something that's maybe the, one of the most underappreciated things in my life. You got to try to be able to do that. Don't always be looking for the next thing. Don't always be reminiscing about the thing before. Live where you are right now. Stop for a minute or life will pass you by. Breathe it in. Talk for a second. Talk through what you're doing at that moment. You know, appreciate the album you just made. Appreciate the TV show you just made. Appreciate the the car wax you just gave you a car. Whatever the hell you're doing, just to sit and appreciate it for a few minutes. 
and then go forward. I don't dwell in the moment. I, I'm not, not about dwelling in the moment. Trust me, I'm the last person that does that. I'm always going forward and kicking down the next door of opportunity. And as soon as I'm done with something, I go on to the next project and so on and so on and so forth. But while I'm in it, you got to try to be able to just appreciate it while you can. All my students, you know, I have some students graduating this season from uh, the school I teach at. And I tell them, listen, guys, appreciate what you're doing right now for this next two, three months. This is this could be the best time of your life. You may never have a better time in your life. You're going to look back one day and say, holy shit, do I miss rehearsals every week or shows that we were doing every week or whatever it is. Breathe while you can suck in the enjoyment of what you're doing now. That way, lady, lady, you really can appreciate it. We're always looking forward when we, we're always looking at the things that we want to do. We always want to get older when we're younger. And then when we do get older, we think about all those times. And as, as you think about all those times, you tell all these great stories in your book. For you, what was the, the moment that you missed the most? You know, outside, of course, you know, being with family, but the thing that the things that you used to do, whether it was those trips to the record store, whether that, you know, that when you were in music school, you know, doing all that stuff, what was it for you that you look back as a, as a young kid with your fondest memories? Oh my God, there's so many, but you know, if I can generalize it, it's just that carefree, you know, mind of, of, a, of a kid, you know, 10, 12 years old, coming home from school, ripping my school uniform off, throwing a pair of shorts on, grabbing my football and going out for the day, meeting my friends, hanging out all day, drinking from the garden hose or the, you know, the local, you know, uh, water fountain at the park, whatever it is, all those days, just carefree every single day, just enjoying your friends and your neighborhood and all that stuff, never having to think about money and where that's going to come from and how am I going to pay the rent and bills and so on and so forth. All of the stuff that you don't, you don't appreciate as a kid. That's the stuff that, you know, that I think really lives are built on, you know, you build your life as a child and then everything after that, you're still that kid. I think I'm still that kid when I was 12 years old, I'm the same kid. Yeah, I think a little differently now and I'm a little smarter maybe, but <clears throat> my brain still, if I had the chance, would go out with my friends right now, run to the park and play wiffle ball. That's, that's what I want to do. That's the stuff that I miss the most. When you began your journey as a young kid, you were exposed to music. Obviously, Kiss was the big band. Kiss was a big band for me too as well. And I often talk on the show about that physical experience, being able to have a physical connection with music back then, whether it was holding an album, holding a cassette, whatever it was, you had that. You had that. It was almost like a babysitter when you bought a new album. You'd lock yourself in your room and you'd listen to the album. Your mother and father, you know, you knew who you knew where you were, you know, um, and that was it. That was all you needed back then, right? When you talk in the book about the, those moments, you talk about seeing the Kiss Look It Up album and there being a new drummer. And you talk, you think about how information was gathered back then and how you didn't have the internet. You didn't know what was going on. And as a young kid, 10, 11, 12 years old, whatever it was, you, sometimes you didn't know until, not as it happened, but 
two weeks later, you know, like now everything is so instant. Everything is so bam, it's, it's happening. It's trending, whatever it is. But it was, I, I remember those moments too. Like, Oh my God, kiss got a new drummer. That doesn't look like Peter Chris or, you know, you know, Van Halen's got daily rots no longer in Van Halen or, or all this stuff. It was, it helped you, I think, live more of in the moment because you accepted you you kind of you appreciated things and then when you found out that they were no longer you look you felt that well i got to appreciate it sucks that it's no longer happening but at least you got to to appreciate that, those moments yeah listen life was just slower things happened at a slower pace as crazy and weirdly but you know in a weird way we were faster as kids too you know than they are today you know childhood behavior wise and please, please for for your listeners don't think this is a preachy book by any chance. This is this is a fun, funny book, crazy funny moments, all funny stories of, you know, backstage with Kiss, being on tour with Kiss, and Gene pranking us and stuff. There's a lot of funny, crazy The wiffle ball game. Oh, it, it, it just so happens. Like I said, I didn't even know it after I wrote it until I got the feedback that it was so impactful for people. So please don't think this is like a preachy, stuffy book. This is... If you grew up in the 80s or the 70s and you want to relive some thoughts of your childhood and see someone like fulfill their dreams, you know, when they started when the five years, this is the type of book. But, you know, you know, times were different back then. You know, I still even now looking back, I don't know how the hell I found out anything. I would only find out from a commercial or a magazine or or like you said, I would go to. I would go to my local mall at least once a week, go to the record store, Sam Goody in my local mall, and I would just look at the new album releases and see what the hell is out. Oh, my God, what the hell is this album? Cinderella, they look like a band that I might like. Let's We got to buy this. Hey, what? how much is this? Eight, eight bucks. I don't have eight bucks. I got to buy the new Kiss album, too. What am I supposed to do? These are the dilemmas of a 10, 12-year-old, you know, in the 80s. I You couldn't find, you know, ads and and then I didn't have I didn't get the newspaper I wasn't reading the newspaper to look for the new tours that were out and even I didn't even think that far ahead I would just it would just all be either word of mouth or maybe I would hear an ad on a radio station or I would go to the local mall and either someone would be talking about it or I'd buy an album and the the, the guy at the register would say hey they're going to be at the garden next week you going I'm like what what the hell are you talking about really how do I get tickets it was just word of mouth. So everything was just slower back then. So you could kind of appreciate the little things you found. So if I found the new Cinderella record and I loved it, I could live in that record for a, a month before I had money to buy a new record. So it wasn't like I could just skip the track, skip the track, skip the track, skip the track, and then go to the new record, the next record for by some artist. I had to live in that record because that's all I had for the next month. And that's the essence of this book and that's what it captures because <clears throat> we all had our boys our friends you have girls who are listening you had your you had your girlfriends too and it was like a pack of wolves right you were loyal to each other you saw each other every day whether it was at the at the bus stop in school at the park in the neighborhood everybody was listening to music you go to a friend's house when parents were still at work you'd crank up the new kiss or the new Judas priest or whatever it was. And you just listen to, to music and you'd listen, you'd look at the liner notes, you look at the, the gatefold, you look at all that stuff and you talk, Oh, this guy's better than this guy. And this, this band's better than that band. And that was just what you did. 
And you know, you threw the football around the park. Maybe you shot some hoops. You played some stickball on the street. But it was just like you said. It was simpler times. It was slower, and it was you appreciated things that you you. It wasn't just you know on a on an iPad or an iPod. You know, you're clicking, clicking, clicking to get to the right song. You didn't get up when you listen to an album. You listen to the whole album because it was a pain in the ass to fast forward, <laughs> stop, rewind, fast forward, stop, right. rewind to get to the right moment. But it was just, and, that, and this book captures that moment with your, because back then, you know, outside of your family, it was about your friends. It's about the music. And it was just about, you know. Yeah. And your movies. friends, you know, yeah. that, you know, that was, you know, people have influences. People watch YouTube videos and they watch YouTubers and TikTok people and all these other people influencing them. Your influences were your friends. And your parents. That's it. And maybe if you liked your teachers. I didn't like any of my teachers, so they weren't my influences. But my parents and, and my brother and my and my friends, That those are the people that influenced me. So we were all like information gatherers. We didn't even realize it at the time. But if I discovered a band, I would talk about it in school the next day. I would dub it on cassette for my buddies and hand it out to them. And then they would find something that maybe their older brother, hey, holy shit, did you hear the new Metallica record. I'm like, who the hell is Metallica? Oh, my brother just got it. You got to hear this. They would send, they would give it to me, or they would bring their boombox over while we're playing football, and we would listen to it. And that's how you discover things: word of mouth through your friends talking about different things, or sports, or or music, or TV shows. Oh my God, did you see the new blah blah blah? Holy shit! No, I didn't see that. Where was that? It's just how you found information out. You just heard it. Through the grapevine, and most of the time, that grapevine was your friends and your family. Yeah, and, and you influenced each other, especially you know. I had an older brother like you that was always bringing new records in, new bands in. My friends had older brothers, so it was like this collective of just music and doing stuff. Maybe you know, play going places you shouldn't go to, like down the creek, a couple miles or whatever, and you go on these adventures. But you were always talking. You were talking. You know, you'd have these battles, like you know. Vince Neil is better than Kevin Dubrow or right. Randy Rose is better than Eddie Van Halen. And you'd have these debates that meant nothing to anyone, but you and your pals and your buddies. And when you read this book, for those listening, it brings back all those moments. It brings back that time when, like Joey said, things were, things were slower. You know, you were information gatherers. You didn't know things until a couple of weeks later. It wasn't like, you know, you, you had two, you had three news channels back then, you know, <laughs> right. ABC, NBC, CBS. That was it. You did, that was all you had. You didn't have a computer. You couldn't pull stuff up. You had to rely on, and how, you know, then you had the, uh, the, you know, you tell one person one thing. And then by the time they got back to you, it was a completely different story. Of course. The, the rumor mill back then oh, was, was on fire, you know, like you'd start a rumor, but. You know, when you when you'd share music with your friends, that's when it all came together. That was that that bond that brought you all together. You know, whether it was the new Winger album or the new Megadeth album or whatever it was. I used to have a radio station in Chicago. Used to have a radio station that would come on at seven o'clock at night. It was a Spanish speaking station during the day, and they would it was WVVX Real Precious Metal, and they would play all these hard rock stuff, all these rock songs, and I would stay up till one o'clock in the morning with the boom box on the wall where the bed is. So my mom couldn't see it. And I'd have the headphones pulled through up where I'd be listening to it. <laughs> and I would be snoozing in like sixth, seventh grade because I'd be up all night listening to rock. But 
you know, I would tell, oh, you got to hear this band, you know, this band or that band or whatever. And like you said, we dub tapes for each other. It was just, and I have never read a book that spoke to those moments, spoke to that time where it was just living. It was just life. It was just ride your bikes, listen to tunes and whatever happened, happened. Yeah, there was no, listen again, I'll, I'll forever be that 12 year old playing outside with my buddies, playing manhunt outside with my buddies, listening to music, playing sports. I'll forever be that kid. Yes, of course, things change. And, you know, we don't people don't see each other as much anymore. And everyone has families and jobs and responsibilities. But I I firmly believe and I tell my kids all the time because my daughter just turned 12 and she'll be 13 uh, actually soon. And I tell them that age is priceless because the influences that you get in during that time period when you're you know between the ages of eight and 12 that's going to shape you and your personality forever good or bad you know that's why when i see some you know parents who are beat their kids or mean to their kids or whatever it is it drives me out of my mind because i know that those are the years that you have to really make sure that those kids are are, are just breathing in life and, and finding out what they love and really want to do for the rest of their life. And what's, what are their dreams? What, what the hell do you dream of? Go get it. From those moments, like I said earlier, we all wanted to be in a band. We all did the air guitar. And in, in, in my case, I used a crutch as my guitar in my room. <laughs> I, had, I had one crutch that I made sure it was in my room. And every time I'd be jamming to this crutch, it was like a guitar, but we all wanted to be in a band. Some, some of us pursued that dream, but from those people that pursued it, some people kept playing and you kept playing and you kept moving forward. You kept going after it, you know, whether it was being in local bands in New York and playing at this one club that to you was monumental. Right. And then being in this band ZO2, which I love the band, one of the most underrated bands of all time, one of the most unknown bands of all time, and then getting the opportunity to open up for your heroes on a tour. I mean, that to me is is the remarkable thing is not only did you grow up a Kiss fan and were a, a very dedicated Kiss fan. In fact, you were a Kiss tribute band. You were the Eric Carr uh, member of the band. And there you are now opening up for Kiss on you know with with poison was it the revenge tour i think it was or was it the no 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 no. rock the nation tour rock the nation tour that's right yeah 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 and um but just for to to know that i mean it started just by listening to kiss and that journey began because of that and here you are opening for the for the reason why you're playing that's such a remarkable moment oh it was it was so surreal i mean again you know, I was one of those people that I, I loved when people said, you want to be what? You're crazy. You can't do that. Oh, really? I loved when people said, you can't do that. You can't lift that weight. You can't become this. You can't do that. Oh, really? That almost drove me more than positivity. I want to hear you tell me I can't do something because I'm going to do it just to prove you wrong. Even if, maybe if, even if I don't want to do it, I'm going to do it to prove you wrong. And that's just my attitude my whole life. I, I pursued things, you know, things that I love that everyone else was like, you're crazy. You can't do that. How, why are you trying to do this? You can't do this. Yes, I can. 
And there's only one answer behind that is it's just determination. Go do it. You know, I, I, I wanted to be the drummer for Kiss one day. You know, that when I saw Kiss when I was five years old, that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, obviously, I didn't become the drummer for Kiss, but I kept going. And it, band after band broke up and lost record deals and quit and girlfriends broke up bands. And same old story that all every musician out there has. You know, that's the other part of my book. Every musician was like, oh, my God, I went through all that stuff, too. My singer was crazy. Oh, my guitar player beat up this one. And it, we all went through it. It's about not letting one band or people stop you. All right, you don't want to do it with me? I'm going to go find three other people that want to do it with me. Oh, you're going to break up because you have to you have to wake up early in the morning to go to work and you can't stay up to, till one in the morning and rehearse with us? See you later. I'll go find three, three more people that will do it with me. So it was just jumping ship, jumping ship, jumping ship, jumping ship until I found people that had the drive and determination that I had. And ZO2 just happened to be those people. You know, David and Paulie Z were two like-minded people, personality-wise and everything else-wise. We were complete opposites. You know, they were two Jewish kids from Brooklyn, and I was an Italian kid from Brooklyn. We had complete different views on everything in life, except drive and determination. We would all do anything to do what we wanted to do, and, and we would push to the limits to get what we wanted. And that's what happened. Once the three of us met and kind of joined forces, there was nothing that was going to stop us from going to that next level. And that's when we got the KISS tour. The amazing thing about the show, Z-Rock, <laughs> was that what you just said, you know, you guys were just, you guys were just guys, you know, and here you got the show and it's about a band who plays kids parties during the day and has, you know, trying to make it as a rock band at night. And it was just, everybody knew guys like you, right? Growing up, everybody, everybody knows those guys that, we're in a band that I used to live with a rock band in my early twenties. So I saw a lot of behind the scenes. I saw a lot of like you just said, and I try, and I try to explain it to my son as he's looking for members to put together in a band. I go, listen, I go, there's always going to be band drama, no matter what band you're in. Oh, it's yes. always going to be it. You just got to learn how to navigate through it. That's all you got to do. You know, learn how to manage different personalities. You know, that's, that's the best thing I could do. The drummer's always going to be the crazy one. Right. You know, the bass player is always going to be the analytical one and the guitar player and the singer are always going to argue about which one should be in the, in the center of the stage. Yeah, it's pretty damn well said. <laughs> <laughs> so but but that was throughout your whole career, whether it was with the band, the TV show growing up. And, and as I as I talk to my listeners directly. If you grew up in the early 80s, late 70s, mid 80s, you will love this book because it is so, it's everything that you went through. It's a matter if you grew up in New York, Chicago, like me, LA, Arizona, wherever it was, there were always these neighborhoods where you had a pack of wolves, your friends, you had rock music, and you know, you, you had time, right? You had time to, to, to enjoy it, to hang out with your friends. That's why when when I look back at my friends from the old neighborhood, I still see them. I still talk to them because we have that 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 connection that lasts forever. You know, more so than friends I make now or whatever, because it's just different. There's different things pulling us in different directions. Back then, we just had little league games. That was it, right? You know? Yeah. No, you're listening. You're right again. You know, for people who don't know, you know, we've been covering a lot of my career without kind of giving any definition behind it, but. The show you were talking about was called Z-Rock. So Z-Rock, 
came about shortly after we got the Kiss tour. You know, ZO2 was an unsigned band that got their first major tour opening for Kiss and Poison, did 45 dates across the country one summer. And, you know, it was an opportunity for us. And then after that, things quieted down. We figured that was going to be the skyrocket to the moon, right? Opening for Kiss and Poison. We were selling out our merch every night. Our CDs were flying off the shelves. And we figured, okay, here we go. A major label is going to snatch us up and we're going to be rock stars within a year, right? Nope, didn't happen. People think that that's the tour that gave us everything. It didn't. You know, when we came back from that tour, it was a humbling experience. We went back to playing the same old clubs and yeah, it opened up some doors. Don't get me wrong, but we could have been, we could have very easily said, you know what? That was great. We did it. And, you know, and we moved, we all split up, went, went our separate ways and split up and moved on. But, you know, we said, you know, when Z-Rock came along and, you know, for people who don't know what Z-Rock is, Z-Rock is a true story about our band, ZO2. We were really kids entertainment, entertainers, kids performers, a kids rock band during the day. And we were ZO2 at night. And that's literally how we paid to be on tour with Kiss. It costs money to travel across the country and rent an RV and eat and sleep and drink and all this stuff. So we paid those bills by playing for little children. That's what we did. And we went back to those jobs after the Kiss tour. We were still entertaining kids and doing whatever we had to do to keep our band afloat. And it just, you know, I always tell people, you're never going to make it playing in your garage. You're never going to make it playing in the studio. Get your ass in front of people. You know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, no, there's no such thing as luck. It's about when preparation meets opportunity. That's, that's what I always tell every kid that I meet. There's no such thing as luck. Get your ass in front of people and show them your talent. So we were just playing this kid's birthday party and an agent from one of the biggest agencies in the country, William Mars came over to us and said, wow, what the hell are you guys doing playing this kid's birthday party? You know, you look like Aerosmith. You don't look like the Wiggles. And long story short, we invited him to our show later that night. We had no idea he was from the TV division. We didn't care if he was from the TV division. We just wanted another tour. We said, oh, can you get us on the Van Halen tour? Can you get us on the the ACDC tour? What can you do for us? He's like, well, I'm actually in the TV division. We were like, okay, well, why don't we do a TV show? And when we said that, you know, when we're telling our friends this story and we were, when we started to develop Xerox, same as always, everyone's like, you're crazy. <coughs> you, wh- how are you three morons going to be on TV? What are you going to do on TV? You can't act. And we were like, oh, really? Watch this. And sure enough, we developed Xerox. We got two seasons. We were the highest rated show on I- in IFC's history at that point. And it was just a great time. We became actors. You know, we always said we weren't acting. We were reacting. We were just being ourselves. And, you know, again, moral of the story, don't let someone say you can't do it. Yeah, we're three morons from Brooklyn. You know what? We played with Kiss. We got to tour of the world. And we had a little TV show of, of our own, too. Some great moments on that TV show. And as I've told Joey in the past, the, the walk around pork <laughs> is uh, my personal favorite. Uh, and, if, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, all the episodes are available on YouTube. You can go and search up Joey Casada on YouTube. And you can watch all the episodes, and it's it's phenomenal. It's fantastic. It's streaming on Roku right now too on the Roku channel. It's on all all uh, streaming services. It's streaming on Roku both seasons. So if you get a chance to check it out, yeah, again, even like that walking around pork line, dude. That's it's ninety percent of what we do is ad libbed. 
So that walking around pork line, it just so happens we filmed that scene right after lunch. And <clears throat> me and a couple of the producers, we were filming over in Little Italy. And there was this store that literally had these little c- containers with pork to go. And we're like, oh, well, you got to might as well keep this in the scene. And, you know, it, I was like, yeah, it's a little, you know, a little walking around pork. He's like, no, it's walking around pork. I'm like, what? Walking around pork? He's like, no, walking around pork. I'm like, oh, walking around pork. And it was just this big debate. How was I going to say the line and stuff? But it, it, you know, things just write themselves on that show. It's, that was still one of the best TV moments of all time. <laughs> yeah. We, you know, again, we don't know that. We thought it was a throwaway, but yeah, pe- dude, you have no idea how many people come up to me and say, you got any walking around pork on you? <laughs> all the time. There's just the moments too. I mean, when you think about you know your your life with the Catholic school and the nuns and all that stuff. I mean, I mean, God. I mean, I went to I went to Catholic school for eight years. I remember, God. I remember taking a crayon, taking two crayons, and stuffing them in the bottom of my shoes because they used to have these shoes. They had like these indentations on the bottom where like the tracks or whatever. So they stuck the crayon in the shoe, and I walked around the school. And of course, you know, I'm the idiot back then thinking, oh, you know, they're not going to know it's me. Well, all you have to do is follow the trail. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> it's like leaving a trail of breadcrumbs, you idiot. What's the matter with you? And, and Sister Fabia, you know, is well, I see her in the hallway with her head down. No idea. She's tracking me at that moment. And I'm sitting in the class and she comes right up to me and she goes, come to the office right now with me <laughs> and take off your shoes. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. It really is. Oh man. And just, you know, sneaking in music back then in Catholic school. I mean, man, if you were caught with an Iron Maiden album or something provocative, you know, I used to have that Motley Crue shirt with the skull, with the handcuffs through the eyeballs, you know, underneath my uniform shirt, but you could see it because the, because the powder blue ca- uh, Catholic school shirt didn't didn't cover it all. I mean, just all, I, I almost got kicked out of school because of the Crocus album. She was a girl twirling. You could see her butt cheeks in the short skirt. Of um, that was all oh, the dirty deal. looks that I, w- I would have my denim jacket on with my kiss. You know, I had ace painted on the back when you used to get paintings on your denim jacket, kiss pins and patches all over it. The nuns would, you know, I'd have my full Catholic school uniform on. But I'd have my denim jacket on over it, walking into school and in the schoolyard and stuff. And they were like miserable looking at me, yelling, you can't wear that. I'm like, Wait, you want me to freeze? What am I supposed to wear? This is my jacket. And, you know, just arguments upon arguments of, you know, you're fighting. You know, it's, and I know it's ridiculous to say that it's cliche, but, you know, the, the I want a rock video from Twisted Sister. That shit resonates with, with kids at that time because... That's what you were doing. You were battling the authorities. You were fighting for the music you wanted to listen to. And they thought it was devil's music or your hair looked dirty and why is your hair long or you can't do that. You should be doing this. Bullshit. I, I'm me. If, if, That's if, how if, they defined how bad if you were a bad kid. Yeah. Like if you had all those back patches and all that stuff, that denim jacket or the albums they caught, you know, as you, you walk in. I, I used to have this sack for, for my school books. And it had the logo of my school on it, and it was blank. And I would draw all the logos of the bands on the back of it. <laughs> and I had, like, this whole thing. And literally, like, the nuns thought I was, like, the second coming of Satan. Because I had these T-shirts under my uniform. I had these tapes in my desk. Uh, it, you know, I, I was, you know, I had the older brother to bring in, you know, music and everything. And, you know, when they saw a Judas Priest logo, oh, my God. I, I had to go to confession. 
Listen, I, I, you know, I, again, I don't want to keep preaching, but I'm a firm believer. If the herd goes right, I'm going left every time, every single time. When people start lining up on a, on a, on a, in a line somewhere, I go, I don't line up behind the last person. I go, wait a second. Is this the line? Oh, look, there's a line. There's a, there's a little way around it over there. I could go that way. Don't ever follow behind someone just because you think that's the way to go. Look, open up your eyes. There's always a better way than following the herd every time. And that was you know, ways we distinguish ourselves too, right? With our with our artwork on our folders, with our with the, with the band. Everybody had to pick their favorite band, you know. And you couldn't have the same one, but that was your identity. You're a Motley Crue guy. You're a Kiss guy. You're a Van Halen guy, Maiden guy, whatever. It was just a simple way to really put your personality out there and the nuns back then i mean i remember god sister benedicta rolling up her sleeves showing us the number from (laughs) the concentration camps that she used to live Uh, live in and you know when she would teach us about tchaikovsky and all these classical artists and everything and i'd have my iron maiden logo or my eddie picture i mean it was like you know i had to go see the priest you know, go talk to him about what a bad kid it was. But, and then as you get older, like, no, we weren't bad kids. We were just, you know, we just who we were. Of course. Right. Again, listen, every generation has their things. You know, we, we, I, we constantly are talking about how kids today don't appreciate things because everything is at their fingertips and stuff. I, I agree. They'll, they'll never grow up the way we grew up, just like we didn't grow up the way our parents grew up. I remember, you know, getting VHS tapes at the video store or, you know, watching TV all day long and cartoons and stuff. And, my and you know, my mom or my grandparents would be like, oh, we used to huddle around the radio and listen to the radio and use our imaginations to see what, the, you know, th- they were talking about. You know, your kids are spoiled because you get to see everything in color and right in front of you. Look at the graphics. You're not using your imaginations or reading your book and stuff like that. So every generation grows up a little and and gets new technology and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, we're all the same. Every generation has their own thing. But I think kids, if if you keep your morals and your, I'm all about family life. If your family teaches you the right way and how to appreciate things and work for everything you want to get, you're going to be just fine. Whether you watch YouTube, whether you, you're us and you have, you know, records that we stare out for an hour or if you're our parents and stare at the radio for 10 hours whatever it is it's family values that have, at the end of the day will get you through it last part of the the conversation we talk about the essence of the book how it really captures that moment growing up back then it talks about your journey chasing a dream fulfilling that dream but it also has the ugly part of the music business you know the the deals, the kind con- of the labels that, you know, the, the record label, you know, falling through or the record deal falling through getting canceled for the TV show. You talked about, you know, the tour with kiss and then, you know, not really moving forward. There is a harsh reality sometimes for a lot of musicians, you know, and as you said, at the beginning of the interview, you're still making music. You're still around music. You're still doing what you love for bands today. That, the whole game has changed with how you market yourself, with how you've got to be so active on social media. You still hear bands wanting to chase that record deal, you know, which 
is not the same when you were chasing it when you were younger. That means something completely different now. As you see things evolve since, you know, with, with your career and even, you know, and after, what is your, what is your perspective and advice for young bands that are starting out or young bands that are really good, but just can't gain the traction that they need? It's so funny. I, I just had a similar conversation with an instructor, one of my instructors that, uh, you know, they, that they might want to turn down a record deal if it ever was given to them because they don't feel they earned it yet. They want to work harder and go through the trenches and, and struggle more. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not how life works. You, you get, when things are presented to you, it's not because you, you're fortunate and you're, you're more lucky than the person next to you. They're, things are presented to you because you opened up that door and, and busted through an, uh, situation to gain that opportunity. So I think, you know, the the best piece of advice for anyone, whether it's this generation, last generation, next generation, get yourself out there. And in our time, of course, how do I, how did we get ourselves out there as a band? When I was growing up trying to get a record deal, there was only a couple of ways. You play live and you record demos. Those are the only two ways to get out there. You show yourself live in as many places in front of as many people as you can, and you record demos and try to get someone to shop that demo to a record label. That was how you became a rock star back in the day. No other way, no other chance. Nowadays, you have another gazillion outlets. And through my career, it's funny, I got to experience some of the gamut of those, of those different phases. You know, when we were kids, you would never hear rock and roll all night in a milk commercial. You'd be like, oh, my, that's disgusting. You'd never hear, you know, uh, sweet emotion in a, in a condom commercial. You know, it would be ridiculous. You, they, bands didn't, didn't put their music out there like that. But nowadays, because the record industry is so different and you're not really making money off of records and streamings and all that stuff, you have to have these other outlets. And that's kind of what ZO2 did. We realized after that KISS tour, okay, we need another way to figure out how to do this. And when Z-Rock, when we got Z-Rock, we realized, okay, now we get it. We have to, we can't just be a band. We can't just be a, actors in a comedy show. We can't just have this. We can't just have that. Do everything. Be multitasking. Be multi-talented. Look at me even still to this day. I have my own podcast. I, I teach. I tour still with Eric Martin. I tour with ZO2. I play on Broadway. I, I, I'm developing my own TV show, Wrestling with Joey Licious. I'm developing my own cartoon called Victor. I'm, de- I'm developing a cartoon series. I wrote the book we discussed today. I wrote two other wrestling books of starring myself as a, a comedy comedy book. You know, you, you do so many different things because in today's world, one is not enough. Don't just be a drummer. Don't just be a singer. Don't just be an actor. Do everything. And you'll see how they all eventually tie together and you become the artist you want to become. For a band coming up, is it advisable to pursue that record deal or is it more important now for, for a band to get a management deal? I mean, listen, one is not better than the other. It all depends on what record deal, what management deal, right? So, it, it, you know, you can't, you can't generalize like that. But everyone needs help. 
That's another thing people don't, you know, people love to go, no, we're struggling musicians and we're going to make it on our own and blah, blah, blah. Bullshit. You got to get help from people. And people that help you, they're not doing it because they feel sorry for you. They're doing it because they want to make money off you as well. And that's how the world goes around. You have talent. You're selling product. You're working hard. Let people help you sell that product and give them a piece of the pie to make you ha- make them help you. That's how the world works. Everyone needs help to do stuff. You don't, you, you're not a one-man machine that it, that's going to be the be-all, end-all. Even my book, I wrote every word in my book. I edited my book, but I still needed a little bit of help talking about it, talking through certain things. Should I edit this out? Should I not edit that out? Trying to discover how do I print these? How do I sell it through Amazon? How do I get a publisher? All this stuff. You need advice from people. You need a little bit of help from your friends, as the Beatles would say. Very true. You know, when you think of, of you know, the struggle that that is these days with bands and trying to figure out the one thing above all else, and it doesn't change from the 70s, the 80s till now, surround yourself with a team that believes in you, you know, that wants you to succeed, that isn't just a job for them. It's not just you're just another client whatever if you surround yourself with a with a small engaged team that believes in you that's half the battle right there absolutely you have again search for help you need you need someone behind you helping you and pushing you whether it's for money whether it's for connections whether it's just to give you advice whatever that is <clears throat> find it's the same as always like i said from the beginning get your talents seen if you're a musician go play live shows Put your stuff on YouTube. Put your stuff on all the social media platforms. Make someone see it. If you don't do that, no one will see it. I tell everyone that I work with in my whole life and all my students, every musician you've ever heard, or even you, there's better players out there times 100. But you've never heard of them because they're in the garage or they're in their basement or they're in their room. And they they just either are too scared to come out or... They're too much perfectionist to make things happen after. They want to make sure everything's so perfect. And by the time they make everything perfect, time has passed them by. Get your ass out there. Don't be confident in what you do, but don't be uber critical of what you do. Sometimes your best, your best foot has to come forward later. Don't always step out with your best. Go, just get your ass in the water and test the water, see how it feels. I think of... A great interview I saw, gosh, 15 years ago, 20 years ago with Dave Chappelle, and he was on the actor's studio, and they asked him how to define success. And he says, I don't define success by playing arenas or being a millionaire. I define success doing what I love and making a living. So whether I make as enough, enough as, as a teacher does or I make more than a teacher does, I'm doing what I love, and that's how I define it. There's no better piece of advice ever in the world. Do what you love to do every day, whether it's whatever, whatever it is. I don't care what it is. Do what you love to do. It's not about how successful you become. It's not about how much money you've made. It's not about how much money you've spent and cars and all this stuff. Don't be Mr. Show Off. Get up every morning, love what you do, and you will go to sleep every night with a big smile on your face. Trust me. Anything in the future with uh, more... More books, literary uh, uh, novels here. More books, more music, more TV shows, more everything. <laughs> and now, yeah, listen, there's always stuff in the works. Like I said, 
I'm in, I'm in the middle of our comic book series we're developing called The Chicken Monkeys right now. The first two uh, issues are on Amazon. We're into our third issue right now. We're looking for a major publisher for it. It's a fun story about – it's almost a cross between the Ninja Turtles and Star Wars. It's it's just a fun, fun comic. But, again, doing so many other things, still developing, wrestling with Joey Licious. We just signed a really, really, really big name uh, that I can't reveal yet, but you guys should know shortly – uh, we, we should be on one of the networks very, very soon. Uh, but again, I, I, there's no rest for the wicked. I, I, I'm constantly working and developing new things. Like I said, keep doing what you love every day. Some, some days you're going to make money, a lot of money, and some days you're not going to make anything. Just balance your life. Joe, it's been a blast, man. Awesome, dude. So much fun. Again, So thank you so much for all the props about the book. You know, I've done a lot of interviews about the book. You can always tell who really read every word in that book? Because there's a lot of words. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, I always give you grief. <laughs> I always give you grief. I'm like, dude, who the hell are you writing a 500 page book? But I will tell you, I read it in two and a half days. Well, I couldn't listen, put it down. So I will tell everyone, even though it's 500 pages, the way I spaced the book on purpose. And just so you know, for people who don't love to read, there is an audio version of the book as well. You can go on Audible and, and download the whole book. Or you can go on YouTube. It's broken up into chapters. You can even go on YouTube. I don't make any money off that, but it's not about that anymore. I want people to hear my story and, and enjoy it and get inspired by it. Go on YouTube. Go on my YouTube page at Joey Casada. The whole audio book is up there broken down by chapters. It's fun. But the book, the read, it's spaced out in a way. There's a hardcover that came out through Barnes & Nobles that they actually wanted me to shrink the spacing. I spaced it in a way that it's a very easy read. That's why you're getting those 500 pages. The real version through Barnes & Noble's The Hardcover is only about 330 pages, which is, which is about an average book. The way I spaced the regular version, the original version, it's a little bit more user-friendly for the people who don't love to read. It's perfect. It really is. I mean, for me to like not want to go into work because I got to finish reading this book. <laughs> you know, it was, it was the place that I was in. You got to read it. <laughs> Drummer's journey from rock and roll to TV to Broadway. Start with a dream. The author is Joey Casada, one of the true gents in rock and roll. Check it out. If you grew up during the time that I grew up in a little bit before and a little bit after, you will totally love this book. You, you I, I promise you, you will. So go get it. It's on Amazon. You can find on Joey's uh, website. And uh, yeah, it's um, it's great to talk about it. I love talking about this book. I love telling people to buy it. Dude, thanks again for having me. Any any of my exploits, you can always find me on all across social media platforms at Joey Casada. You'll see, you know, all the stuff that I'm doing, updates on stuff, where to buy merch, where to buy the books, where to buy CDs. Everything we talked about today is on my YouTube channel. You'll find me across the board at Joey Casada. All right, everyone. I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Stay strong, stay healthy, take care of each other. We'll talk soon. Thanks.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 